Our scripture for today is 1 John 1, 1 through 2, 6. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children... I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him. If we keep his commandments, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. This is the word of the Lord. All right. Thanks, babe. Um, man, I know it's been said a lot this morning, um, but it, it truly is good uh, for my soul to be together, um, and I hope it's it's been encouraging for you as well. Um, before we before we dive into the text, I've got a I've got a few uh, orders of family business that I just want to touch on. Is that giving feedback to you guys? Um, yeah, just a few things. Uh, first of all, thank you thank you guys so much um, for praying. Um, if you're in this room, you're probably fully aware that we have no shortage of prayer needs among us, um, and that's more evident now uh, probably um, than it ever has been in the life of our church. Um, so just thank you for praying. Um, continue to pray for Tim, Hannah, Silas, and Grace. Uh, continue to pray uh, for our church and for each other. Um, and to echo what Christy was saying this morning, um, just in, I encourage you guys to, to reach out um, to each other and check in on each other. Um, if, you're, if you're thinking about someone throughout the week, um, just assume that that's your cue to pray for them. Uh, assume that that's your formal invitation to, to give them a call, stop by their house and give them a hug. Um, whatever it is, um, just make sure that we're staying connected to each other. Uh, yesterday, uh, we sent out an email to update several things that are going on in the life of our church. Um, so if you didn't see that yet, um, we sent out yesterday morning, so 
Um, check your inbox there. Make sure you read that. And if you aren't on our Happenings uh, mailing list, get on that today. Uh, either fill out a Connect card and leave it at the table or just sign up on our website. Um, sign up there and we'll get you, we'll get you added. Um, but some, some of the main, main things that, that we address in that email, and we just want to make sure that we're over-communicating um, at this point um, for this season of our church. Um, so just a, a few bullet points that, that I want to touch on, and we'll get in the text. So first of all, uh, Tim is still our lead pastor, but he's taking the next six to eight weeks uh, off of preaching and church duties. And that's because we love him, we love his family, we want him to take care of his family, um, make sure they're served the best that he can, he can serve them. And so things, things around here are going to operate similarly, but they're going to be different. Um, so get used to different. Uh, and that, that's not to be a vague kind of statement, but for those of you who haven't watched The Chosen, I just wanted to use one of my favorite lines um, from that. Uh, but in all seriousness, we are going to communicate everything that we know um, when we know it. And so there are, are going to be a lot of times where I just stand up here and say, I don't know, or someone else is going to answer, I don't know. Um, and it's not that we aren't, trying to, we aren't trying to know or find answers, but it's just truly that, that we don't know. And so as soon as we know anything, rest assured that we will communicate that to all of you. Um, along with that, our advisory team is actively working with us. Um, they love us dearly, and they're walking closely with us right now. Um, and if anyone wants to connect with them or get to know them better, um, they are open, and they, like, just shoot them a text, shoot them a call. Um, if you don't have a way to get in touch with them, find me, and I'll get you connected. I'll be happy to do that as well. Um, next, uh, we've got being in a community group. Uh, we, we believe that's massively important. Um, just in general, but especially right now. Um, so if you're not in a group, just get in one this week. Um, get in one this week. And so this is, this is one of the best vehicles in our church uh, to be known, to be prayed for and cared for. And so whether you're not in a group or you are in a group, get to a group this week. Make sure you're engaged. Make sure you're checking in on people. Make sure you're praying for people. Um, and collectively looking to Jesus. Um, so if you're not if you're not in a group and you have needs that arise, we still wanna we still wanna take care of you. We know there's many many needs among us, and so if you're not in a group yet, and you, and you have something that we can we can care for you and love on you um, through, reach out to me. I'm gonna do two things. First, I'm gonna get you connected to a leader or someone that can that can help you. And the second thing I'm going to do is I'm going to help you find a community group to get a, a part of. Um, and then the last thing I have in order of family business um, is just we're, we're pressing pause on our, our Genesis series uh, for now. And then we're going to pick up in, in 1 John. Um, so with that being said, I'm going to pray for us. And if you guys would do me a big favor um, and pray for me. Um, and we'll, we'll get into the text. So Jesus, we do, we do love you. Um, we thank you for um, taking care of us and looking out for us. Lord, we, we hold everything we have with open hands. We look to you. We trust you with it, Lord, that you, you have what's best for us in your heart. 
And so, Lord, would you, would you lead us? Would you walk alongside us, Lord? And um, would you just unite, unite this body um, in your love? We pray these things in your name. Amen. All right, so, so where do we go from here? So that's been a, a question, man, that's been running through my head pretty frequently uh, this week. Um, several different answers have come and gone, uh, popped into my head, just depending on the circumstance, the, the conversation that, that it's a part of. But where do we go from here? Um, a, a consistent landing spot that I've had um, that's been helpful. That's been helpful for me is the disciples' response to Jesus in John chapter six, where Jesus is facing opposition and friends are are leaving him, and his disciples are, are around him. And Peter, namely, he's like, "Lord, where else would we go? You have the words of eternal life." And so that's that's been my prayer that that these words would be a marker for my own heart, and also that they would just be a marker. Uh, for our church as well. I'm going to switch over. That's been my prayer that that would mark me as a follower of Jesus and mark us as his body. Um, Where else would we go, Lord? You have the words of eternal life. Um, And practically speaking, uh, we're going to 1 John this morning. And so if you have your Bible, you can start turning there. Um, And while you're getting there, I just want to share a few things um, so we can get familiar with our text before we jump in. Um, may, or may, may or may not be obvious, but this, this book of the Bible is written by John. Um, and unlike, so he wrote 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. And unlike 2 and 3 John, 1 John is different because it's not addressed to a specific person. Um, so it's believed, instead of a, a letter, it's believed to be a written sermon that John sent uh, to churches that he was familiar with and leading in his area. Uh, 1 John was written to help believers appreciate their fellowship with God and at the same time deepen that fellowship. And so John, John is telling his original audience um, and therefore telling us that fellowship with God is the essence of life. And so as we, as we talked about uh, for 50 plus weeks in the Gospel of John, which was also written by John, um, that book was written so that we might believe that Jesus is a Christ, the Son of the living God, and by believing in him, we may have eternal life in his name. And so John follows that up with this epistle, 1 John, so that we may experience. So he's like, now we have, you have eternal life found in Jesus and Jesus alone. And now I'm writing so that you may experience the fullness of that eternal life um, that, that we possess and has been given to us. And by eternal life, John, John is referencing not only our future hope that we have with God, but he's also, I believe, he's also proclaiming the life lived right here, right now, in the presence of the living God. And so let's, let's read verses 1 through 4. So that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest and we have seen it, and testify to it, and proclaim to you the eternal life, which is with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. And so John, John starts this sermon similar to his gospel by referencing back to the beginning. 
And what, what he's doing here by saying, we have heard, we have seen, we have looked upon, we have touched. Um, he's telling us that the word of life, Jesus, he's an actual person. He's real. He's tangible. He, he could use his five senses to, to interact with this person. And his original audience could have easily, easily disputed these claims if they thought that he was lying. But they had no reason to because they were, they could testify to his, to his eyewitness. And to us, 2,000 years later, um, it's telling us the object of our faith is a real person. Like he entered time and space to, to live life on our behalf. And it's not, it's not some idea that somebody conjured up or not um, anything that, that we couldn't prove otherwise, but is a real historical person, historical event in time and space. And so John, John is also starting a theme that, that he's going he's gonna to weave through this whole book. Um, and it's, it's this, is Jesus pursues us increasingly without end. Jesus pursues us increasingly without end. And so more, more than the word becoming flesh, which is an incredible feat in and of itself, more than Jesus' son leaving his father's side to be with us, again, on its own would be amazing. Jesus, or John takes it even further. So describing what Jesus has done for us, John articulates it even further. His descriptions get progressively more intimate. And so if you look at how he describes a real person in these first four, four verses, not only heard about, not only that he had seen from a distance, not only that he gazed upon, but a person was delighted to draw near enough to touch and to dwell among us. And in case it isn't clear, John is talking about Jesus. And John here, he's writing from his firsthand experience. Throughout his life, we see John transformed from a young hothead nicknamed the Son of Thunder into a mature, tender, and gentle man known later in his life as the Apostle of Love. So when he first came onto the scene, not only was John arrogant and prideful and quick to speak and harsh and unforgiving, etc., etc., John also experienced a lot of grief experienced a lot of sadness. He experienced a lot of confusion, loss, pain, and loneliness. And you see, it's believed that John is the only one of the 12 disciples who died of natural causes. So that means he lost many of his best friends as they were killed for their faith. And he himself was even tortured and tormented as he followed Jesus. And he, at the end of his life, we see that he was exiled to an island, and we could go on there. But I think it's safe to say that John was bombarded from all sides. John was eating haymakers left and right, standing there, absorbing the punches. And what is, what is revealed through his transformation through John's transformation, through his testimony, what I think he's trying to articulate in this opening, in this opening section here, is that that through it all, through all the punches being absorbed, through it all, nothing is sweeter than the love of God 
And that's manifested in Jesus Christ. So nothing brings John more joy. Nothing brings John more meaning to his life than to be in the presence of God. And that joy cannot be taken from him because Jesus refuses to stop pursuing him. Jesus absolutely refuses to stop pursuing him, and he refuses to stop pursuing us. Through John's example, we can find the foundation of the life of love. With trials and suffering abounding, John chooses to press into Jesus. To grow, mature, and fight the good fight, John doesn't set off on his own and try to make a name for himself. He doesn't retreat in fear to to strategize this great, grand comeback scheme. Um, he He doesn't even try to be his own authority and to take matters into his own hands. What he does is he steps toward Jesus. And I'm going to outline a few things, what that, what that practically looks like and what, what happens when we step towards Jesus. But I just want to say this first. In these first few verses, he emphasizes the goodness and the love of God is not only what sustains him, not only what sustains him, but it, it's what makes him flourish. Reality starts with God, and then the essence of God is where we find our joy, comfort, and meaning. And so as we step toward Jesus, several things happen. A few of them I just want to highlight this morning. Uh, we, find, we find comfort, rest, and healing. We step into the light. Darkness is exposed and pushed back, both around us and within our own souls. And John also gets into this um, in the verses that come, so, so stick a pin in that. I mean, it's logical, it's logical to think that if all of us are stepping closer to Jesus, with Jesus at the center, that after we do that, we're all closer to one another. And so with Jesus at the center and with authority, he gives us the marching orders to advance together. And so to put, put it simply, John's trans- transformation, or another, another word you'll see in the Bible, his sanctification, happened through his experiential grace with Jesus and Jesus' people. John's appeal in this letter is that our best life is actually found the more intimate we are with God. You may be thinking, well, of, of course John would say that. He rubbed shoulders with Jesus. He saw him face to face for three years, doing all sorts of projects and talking to people and listening to, fi- or to stories around the campfire. Um, and, like, you, you wouldn't be wrong. Like, he was able to interact with Jesus and use all five of his senses to, to do those things. And, it, um, yeah, you, you would be right in saying that. However, however, I just want to ponder on this as well. In God's kindness and provision and ever-increasing pursuit of us, God sent a helper, his Holy Spirit, to dwell in us who, have, who are in Jesus. And so the closest, the closest that John could get, you know, like he could, who knows if he got an actual fight or wrestled or whatever, but he would get right next to, right next to Jesus, rubbing shoulders every single day for three years at least. And what's amazing is that 
the access and the level to which God interacts with us now is infinity times more close than that physical interaction because God has sent his own spirit to dwell among us. And so again, in his nonstop pursuit of us, Jesus is just getting started. John, John has detailed Jesus, Jesus giving himself to us. Next, he tells us of, a, of the message that he, that he communicates. So taking us to verse 5. So this message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. And so Jesus gave us a message, which you'll hear us refer to as the gospel. Uh, but before we look at that, let's, let's sit in what it means for God to be light. The words that, that John uses here. So God is light, meaning he's good, he's pure, he's holy. It means that everything that we see, everything that we don't see, all of reality starts with God. He's not something that, that we can back into with our questions and experiences. Those two things can, can lead us to discover God and his love for us. But they fall, they fall short when we try to use those things to define God. Only God can do that. And so instead, God, God is ultimate. And from there, he actually informs us what questions to ask and how to understand and perceive the world and what's going on in us and around us. Goodness is defined by God's nature. In him is no darkness at all. And so that means no inconsistencies in his nature or his character. God is steadfast and trustworthy. So all of this, the fullness of God and his character, is revealed through the person and life of Jesus. That in itself is more than we deserved or we could have imagined if we were left on our own. What's even more beautiful is the fact that Jesus didn't just come to us as an example, although he did do that. He didn't come near to us uh, for the optics. Like, he didn't come near to us just to, to make it look like he cared about us. My sources have confirmed that he really does care about us. He used, he used his words to make it clear to us our status with God and exactly what needs to happen for us to be made right with him. Regarding salvation, the most important thing any of us can, can talk about, Jesus left no question unanswered. Jesus gave us himself, and he gave us a gospel message. So Jesus makes it clear that we are all born as children of darkness. And we're born like this because of the fall, which we just covered in Genesis 3. And it's also made clear that each of us, at one point, chose darkness and for some of us, we still choose darkness rather than, than Jesus and the light. And walking in darkness, just so we're all on the same page there, means placing anything other than God as the ultimate authority in your life or in reality. 
And so we desperately need the light to break in. This is, this is part of the gospel message still. We desperately need the light to break in. And John here is saying that Jesus is that light. He's the light of the world, and he cleanses our sins, and he's faithful and just to forgive us. And again, the theme of Jesus' ever-increasing increase, pursuit of our life, he intervenes on our behalf. He eradicates our darkness. Sometimes it's instantly, sometimes it's slower than we would like, but it's eradicated nonetheless. And he brings us into relationship with himself and each other so that we can know and be known. And so this frees us in many ways, but one of the, one of the most freeing ways in, in my life and my story is whenever I realized this for the first time, it, mean, it meant that I had no more image management that I had to, that I had to put up and fake um, like this second version of myself that I wanted other people to see and approve of. Jesus cuts through all of that. He says, hey, buddy, you don't have to pretend anymore. We know you don't have it all together. I've already outed you. And he doesn't use that to shame us. He uses that to love us. And Jesus, he knows us, the real, the real you, and he saved us while we were yet sinners. And so let, let's keep moving to chapter 2. He says, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this, we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this, we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. And so John makes it easy for us to see why he's writing these things. He starts off uh, right, right off the beginning of the paragraph. He says, I'm writing to you for these two things. First, that you may not sin. And reading this, I was, uh, I was a little taken aback that he, he seems to know us, at least myself, a little bit too well for my comfort because it only takes him the drop of a pen in a small space before he gives us the option number two. He's like, but if you do sin, Jesus is our righteous advocate. And so advocate simply meaning someone who publicly supports um, another, another person. And so the best, the best example I could think of um, were my two boys. And so most of you guys know them, but Jace and Isaiah, um, more specifically, Isaiah is a huge advocate for Jace most of the time. Yeah. So he, they're best friends. Uh, wherever Jace goes, Isaiah wants to go. Um, whatever Jace does, Isaiah is, is right there trying to keep up, cheering him on, um, most time with clapping and the, the big, cheeky, seven-tooth smile that he's got um, <laughs> that I love. Um, he's right there encouraging him and cheering him on. Even, even when he finds himself on the receiving end of a takedown from Jace in an inadvertent chokehold, 
he just can't help himself but smile and give a belly laugh. And so the example breaks down once you get start thinking about it too much. So I'm going to leave that there. Um, but as our advocate, Jesus doesn't, doesn't just cheer us on and encourage us. He does do that. But because he's righteous, he has the power, authority, and the desire to cleanse us of our sins and make us right with God. So he, he sees you. He has a, and when he looks at you, he has that same uncontrollably big smile of approval, not because of anything that you've done, but because of his finished work on the cross. And so one of the, one of the main ways he advocated for us was by going to the cross, dying the death that we deserved, and taking the full wrath of God on himself. And that act in itself gave him, gave him that, the right and the power to be not just someone who cheers us on, but someone who actually has the authority to make us right with God, to advocate on our behalf. So this is what John is, is saying when he says Jesus is a propitiation for our sins, is that he did what we couldn't so that, though, so that those who trust in Jesus can actually find favor with God. And he continues to advocate and intercede to the Father on our behalf to this day. And so again, Jesus does not stop there. He's amazing, and he just keeps going. Up to this point, he's revealed to us. He's like, hey, I was in the beginning. I created the world and everything that you see, everything you don't see, I created that as well. I created you in my image. He's like, I didn't just stay at a distance at that point. I continued my pursuit of you. I left my father's side to be near to you. I lived the perfect life in your place and used explicit language so that we could understand what you expect from us. He said, I died to advocate for you, to cleanse you of your sin, and for you to find favor with God the Father. He's like, I also killed death and walked out of the grave so that you can have hope. And still, I sent you a helper, God the Holy Spirit, to comfort and counsel you and to illuminate myself and my love for you. And on top of all that, in these last few verses uh, we're covering today, Jesus is saying, I want you to know that you know. Without a shadow of a doubt, I want you to know that you know that I love you, you're mine, and there's nothing that can change that. He wants you to be assured that he loves you. So how does he do that? He says that we can, we can lay, our, lay our heads down at night on our pillow with all, of the, all the thoughts, all the questions, all the doubts, and we can sleep well knowing that we know that, that Jesus has saved us and secured us. He says that we can know that if we abide in him and keep his commandments. And so it's easy to, easy to read that or hear that and think the weight of assurance falls on our shoulders. But this is a natural response in our lives when we turn our lives over to Jesus. We go, we go from being the boss. We go from being the ones to, to make all the, the decisions. We go from being our own authority, like we, like we ever had any in the first place. And we, we are transformed 
by Jesus and his nearness to us and his presence with us to be people marked by love who find joy in our obedience to a God who cares for us and carries us. He wants what's best for us, and the more that we realize that, the more our affections turn to him, the more our affections turn to keeping his commandments because we find that, oh, these aren't limiting factors of joy in our life, but these are actually catalysts of how we live a flourishing life here on earth. And so at this point, I ask, I ask myself a, a familiar question. Where, where do we go? Where do we go from here? We go to Jesus, the one who sustains us, encourages us, and gives us life. And so if you're here and you have not put your life in Jesus' life, John makes it clear that you are in darkness. He also makes it clear that Jesus is the light. And the best way to get rid of the darkness and to take a stand against the kingdom of darkness is to simply take a step into the light. Jesus loves you. He thinks the world of you. And he's waiting for you. And if you're, if you're in the room and you're already his, you've put your trust in him as your savior, this means we go to him again. This means we stay near to him and be encouraged by him. And he gives us the power to step toward each other, to know and be known by each other, to take care of each other as Jesus takes care of us. And so Jesus is the only source of strength and hope that we have when swinging back at the kingdom of darkness. And the greatest, the greatest act of warfare that we can launch on the kingdom of darkness is to, is to move toward Jesus and cling to his victory that he won at the cross and sealed when he walked out of the grave a new creation. Would you guys pray with me? Jesus, we are so grateful for your ever-increasing pursuit of us. Lord, it is amazing, incredible, mind-blowing that, that you would even think of us the way that you do. And you didn't even stop at thinking about us like that, Lord, but you put the rubber to the road and you took action. You refused to stop pursuing us, Lord, would you, would you let our, our minds and our hearts be captivated by your pursuit of us? Lord, would you be present with us and maybe even show us new ways that you're pursuing, um, you're pursuing us, whether that's salvation, Lord, whether that's sanctification, whether um, you're pursuing us in a way that um, would enable us to take care of and love each other in a deeper way. So, Jesus, we, we pray that your spirit is working among us. Lord, we, we pray that you would continue to be near to us and pursue us. We love you, and we pray these things in your name. Amen. All right, so another very appropriate way um, to respond to the question, where do we, where do we go from here, is by, is by coming to the table. And so, if... I don't know if we have someone serving, but if you want to come, um, get ready. Feel free to do that. Um, and again, Jesus has not brought us this far just for the sake of bringing us this far. He continues to pursue us. 
through communion, like he always, he's doing many, many things. But two things that, that I want us to, to hold on to this morning that he's doing when we come to the table and receive communion. He's giving us tangible reminder of, of two things. He's graciously reminding us of the links and the depths that he's gone to in order to save and secure us. He stopped at nothing, not even, not even his own life. So if he, if he didn't even withhold his own life, why, why would he stop at anything else? And the second thing, he's giving, he's giving us a tangible reminder of his nearness to us. He remains present with us, and he takes care of us. And so with these, with these things in mind, um, followers of Jesus are, are welcome, welcome to the table. Um, we'll come down to the center aisle. Uh, Kurt and Jillian will, will serve you the body of Jesus and the bread, wine, juice, obey your conscience there. We'll go back and we'll take it together as family. Um, and if you're not a follower of Jesus, you should come to Jesus right now. And then you can join us at the table. All, all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so it's not anything extravagant or confusing. Um, just talk to him. If you don't know what to say, grab someone next to you and, and figure it out together. And if they don't know what to say, then find someone else until we've got 10 of us that are looking to the Lord to save us. And that would be a beautiful conversation um, for the 11th person to join in on. And so with that, with that, together let's receive the grace of communion.